Well, it's great to be with you as we continue this message series in week two of Presence. During the summer, it's always a little bit different rhythm, but we want you to know if you're new or if you've only been here for a short time, we'd love to welcome you at our Welcome Center. We have a gift waiting for you there. If you visit before you leave church today, we can capture a little bit of your info. We'll tell you a little bit more about Nativity, and you can take that gift home with you. Well, as we continue this message series, we are exploring the Eucharist. We are exploring how the bread and the wine become the body and blood of Jesus. And that is a bit mysterious. Our senses don't tell us the whole story. But as we go on in these weeks to come, we're getting under the hood. We're exploring what happens at the communion table each week. Last week, we began with the book of Genesis. We studied the story of Abram and Melchizedek. Melchizedek is this mysterious priest king who shows up to celebrate Abram winning a battle. And these gifts that he brings of bread and wine to Abram are the first time in Scripture that it really hints at what the Eucharist is going to be. And from this story, we found a formula to help us understand the Eucharist. And this is the formula. Bread plus wine plus prayers plus presence equals Eucharist. A good starting point for us, but a formula only gets you so far. It's only good if we know what it produces. Even if we know what goes into a formula, what's most important is what comes out of it. You can have a math formula, but if you can't solve the problem, then it doesn't do you any good. You can be in the kitchen and have all the ingredients in the recipe. If you don't know how to combine them in the right way, you're not going to want to eat it. So today, I want to help us to understand what goes on the equal side of that formula. When we say we're receiving the Eucharist, what do we mean? When we look at the wafer and the wine each week, we have to do a little bit of mental maneuvering to come to the conclusion that that is the body and blood of Jesus. And I want you to know that if belief in this teaching is challenging for you, you're not alone in that. In fact, we're going to read from the gospel of John today, John chapter 6, and right in the middle of it, it says this, this saying is hard. Who can accept it? This saying is hard. Who can accept it? Or in other words, you expect me to believe that? And to put it a short answer, Jesus does ask you to believe it. But like most things in our faith, you should wrestle with it. You'll never find Jesus telling anyone to do something blindly or without thinking. Jesus doesn't give thoughtless answers. He doesn't want thoughtless responses. He doesn't want thoughtless agreement. He wants you to examine the belief before you make the ascent and not to skip that climb. There are a number of objections when it comes to the Eucharist, just common things that, that people think. Here are just a few that I could think of. One is, it doesn't look any different. It still looks like bread and wine to me. Second, it doesn't feel different. I put it on my tongue, taste the same, digest the same. Third, it doesn't make sense. Because it doesn't look different, because it doesn't feel different, it doesn't really make sense. I can't get there to understand it. Fourth, it doesn't do anything for me. I receive it week after week, and I don't know that it makes any change in me. And last, it doesn't seem that important. We just repeat the ritual over and over again. Some Christian churches choose not even to do communion regularly. So if you've ever thought those things, I, I hear you. Most of them are, are soft in the sense that we're not shouting those things from rooftops, 
but we're just kind of tossing around the idea in our head. In our reading today from the Gospel of John, that's exactly what the crowd is doing. Jesus introduces the idea of the Eucharist. Everyone is really wrestling with it. So as we read this passage today, I'd like you to think of yourself as the Apostle John. He was likely there that day when Jesus spoke these words. He was the one that penned these words in the gospel. And as we drop ourselves into the crowd and take his place, I'd like you to wrestle with the same question that they posed. This saying is hard. Who can accept it? Can a lifelong Catholic accept it? Can your average neighborhood skeptic accept it? Can someone from another faith tradition accept it? But ultimately, can you accept it? Can you accept that something miraculous, mysterious happens at Mass each week, that the bread and the wine that we have make a substantial change to become the body and blood of Jesus, the same Jesus who walked this earth 2,000 years ago and preached the gospel? So to set the scene, Jesus is in the middle of his public ministry. He goes on a bit of a miracle binge. So the day before this chapter begins with him multiplying the fishes and loaves to feed thousands. And then he walks on water with his disciples. So drop yourself into the crowd. It's that day after he's fed thousands. Word is spreading that he walked on water last night. And you can feel the excitement as you join this throng of people. Everybody is looking for him. And that is where we find Jesus with this crowd. And they say to him this, what sign can you do that we may see and believe in you? What can you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven. So the crowd is egging him on. Do another miracle. Show us, show us, show us. Do something cool. Do you have any magic tricks? But Jesus is not going to perform a visible miracle for them today. So Jesus said to them, amen, amen, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So you're leaning in because as usual, Jesus is slightly cryptic. Is he about to do something spectacular? There are whispers in the audience. What miracle do you think he's going to work today? Jesus also references something very specific and important here. He calls out the manna that the Israelites received during their exile. Manna is bread from heaven. Jesus says, Moses was not the one that gave us that bread, but it was God. In the same way, Jesus is going to be the one who gives bread from heaven. So the connection to these Old Testament promises is strong. It's deep. And if you want to study and understand this more, there's a lot more to it. You can check out the book, Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. But of course, to the crowd that we're standing in, this is all over their heads. It's completely lost on them. They just want to see him do something cool. So they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Ooh, watch this. He's going to turn those rocks into bread or something amazing. But even those adoring crowds are not ready for what he says next. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. But I told you that although you have seen me, you do not believe. Huh? What, what did he just say? I am the bread of life? What does that even mean? And here's the crux of it all. 
Jesus makes this bold claim, I am the bread. And soon after that, he says, this wine is my blood. Jesus makes this point abundantly clear because he says it over and over again in this passage, various ways, but 11 times in all. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. The bread that I will give is my flesh. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. The one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Flesh and blood, bread and drink. It's in almost every verse in this portion of the chapter. And the crowd all of a sudden has these confused looks on their faces. What is this guy talking about? Okay, you lost me. This sounds a little bit cuckoo. This is not something I want to eat. I'm a vegetarian. (laughs) Okay, now remember, the Last Supper has not happened yet. So if we're really standing in the crowd that day, we are hearing this without any context. So you have probably heard these passages before, probably not all in a row like this, but let's wipe our minds clean from what we know and pretend like we're hearing this for the first time with everyone else. And if we were, we would probably respond like they did. The Jews quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? That's really the question. How can he give us his flesh to eat? Clearly, Jesus is serious about this. He says it again and again. He's not qualifying it. He's not theologizing it. He's not backing down from it. And it's causing the crowd to get restless. Then many of his disciples who were listening said, this saying is hard. Who can accept it? Since Jesus knew that his disciples were murmuring about this, he said to them, does this shock you? What Jesus says is shocking, especially since the Last Supper hasn't happened yet, so the crowd doesn't have any context for what he's going to do. But he tells us how we can believe. It is the Spirit that gives life, while the flesh is of no avail. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning the ones who would not believe. So here's one key to accepting the teaching. Jesus asks us to go beyond the flesh, to go beyond our five senses, because as human beings, we live in tension. Our head can be up in the clouds, but our feet are here on the ground. There is something innate in humans to go beyond ourselves, to believe in something bigger. And that's the tension that Jesus is talking about, going beyond our flesh to acknowledge we're also spiritual beings. And the Eucharist addresses both of those realities. It's physical enough for us to receive. It's bread and it's wine. But there is a deeper reality to what's being given to us, flesh and spirit, bread and body, wine and blood, human and divine. So when we're asked to combine those realities, the physical and the spiritual, that's what we do when we come each week. The fact that we come each week with cranky kids, with endless to-do lists, with pressure at work, projects at home, the messiness of being human, we bring that to a divine appointment. 
we bring that to be drawn into the wonder and worship of our maker, our savior, our sustainer. And Jesus knows this is a difficult thing to do, but he also does not backtrack from what he is saying. If God can make something out of nothing and form creation, then making bread and wine into his flesh and blood is very much in the realm of possibility. And yet, for some in the crowd that day, even many people in the crowd, they decided not to follow his teaching. As a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. So as we stand in that crowd, you can see the split. There are those that came for the miracle, for the spectacular, and they walk away disappointed. And for the ones that remain, Jesus turns to them. He turns to you with a question. Do you also want to leave? Do you also want to leave? It's pointed. It leaves no room for niceties. Is this saying too hard for you to accept? And for John, as he stood in the crowd that day, he had a whole history with Jesus. He had witnessed the miracles that Jesus had worked, the healing of the sick and the blind, the multiplying of loaves, the walking on water. Perhaps you have witnessed miracles that Jesus has worked as well. John had heard his teaching, the words that change lives, that bring hope to a healing world. Perhaps you've heard that teaching as well. John had been with Jesus since the beginning of his public ministry. Perhaps you've been a part of his church throughout your life. You can attest to its good effects. And so for John, for you, this is a line in the sand. Is this the teaching where you draw the line? How far are you willing to go in your trust of Jesus? That's what the Eucharist asks of us. With regard to Jesus' Eucharistic teaching, his disciples' primary problem was not that they didn't understand him, It was that they didn't believe him. We might have a formula, but ultimately the Eucharist demands that we trust Jesus. Does his word carry enough weight to help you go beyond the physical to a deeper reality? When Jesus says, this is my body, it's not the same as when you or I say those words because Jesus is God. God's word created everything. God's word is truth, is reality. God's word said, let there be, and there was something. God's word made you and me. So when Jesus says, this is my body, those words transform bread. When Jesus Jesus says, this is my blood. Those words transform wine. Jesus knows this is true. He wants us to know it's true, to really know deep down in our heart, in our gut, in our soul, in our spirit. And he realizes not everyone will make that ascent, but his love is such that he gives us the gift anyway. And Jesus knows the reality. The Eucharist is his presence. Our belief or our unbelief cannot change the Eucharist but the Eucharist can change our belief. So which part of the crowd are you? There is no fence. You can walk away or you can stay. And staying does not mean that you have all of the answers, but it does mean you have some level of trust in Jesus. The passage in John 6 ends with Jesus talking to the part of the crowd that stayed. And they're the ones that Jesus asked, do you also want to leave? And one person answers that question. Simon Peter answered him, 
Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's the heart that Jesus wants from us. Not to have every answer, but to combine our intellect with our faith. Simon Peter has a trail of logic. It's one that we can follow too. Creation tells us there is a creator. History says that Jesus is the son of God. If those things are true, then it's reasonable for Jesus by the power of his word to give us bread from heaven. Combine that with knowing Jesus, with his goodness, his truthfulness, his sacrificial love. It means we can both have our head in the clouds and our feet firmly planted on this earth. Simon Peter gives us permission to believe. He doesn't answer every objection that might be voiced. Simon Peter simply says, I don't fully understand, but I trust you. To whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So I'll end with this. One of my favorite prayers is the Divine Mercy Chaplet. It's like a rosary, but it's a little bit shorter prayers, takes less time. And growing up, when I was taught how to say this prayer, I was also taught an addition at the end of it. It's not in most of the prayer guides that you would learn from. Somebody taught me to say at the end three times, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. And so when I do that, I'll often start listing the things that I want to entrust to Jesus. My godfather Jim's cancer, how registrations are going for Camp Go, my ailing back, safe travel for my brother's family. And as I say those things each time, I say, Jesus, I trust in you. And I'll often utter that phrase many more than three times as I'm finishing the prayer. So this week, I just want to ask you to make that your daily prayer to say that phrase as often as you need about everything that you need. At least do it those three times. And when you do, think of Jesus in the Eucharist and your place in the crowd. The Eucharist is in many ways a test of how much you believe in the word of Jesus. So next week, when we come here to the altar again at Mass, where will you stand? Are you one of the people that leaves because... You just can't reconcile that belief. Or are you someone wrestling with the teaching but still managing to say, Jesus, I don't have all the answers, but I trust in you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are trustworthy, that with everything we have, we can look to you, that we can bring all of the messiness of our humanity of our lives each week for this moment of worship, to stand before you, to know that you give us a way of being present, that you give us a way to receive you. Thank you. Be with us this week. Give us strength for all that is to come and help us approach the communion table, not with all of the answers, but being able to say, Jesus, I trust in you. Amen. Hey everyone, thanks for watching with us today. Hit that subscribe button right now so you don't miss a single thing. You can be part of our mission to love God, love others, and make disciples simply by sharing this video. We are so grateful you're part of our community.